good to see each of you here this morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. I don't know, Pat. Um, sounds like maybe you responded a little more in a, in a little more Christian way than maybe I did with vandals. But uh, anyhow, that's another story. But I thought about that as you related it very calmly. So, uh, but maybe you've gotten over some of that. But. I feel a little bit like um, a statement was made by Brother Raymond Shank years ago, uh, and I don't know that I ever heard it from him, but I'm told by one of his nephews that maybe they need to buy JP a backup beeper, because apparently I used that phrase maybe a little more frequently than I should have, you know, I get to a certain point, oh, I need to back up to here. Well, I felt like that when I was getting ready for this message this morning because I would get to a point in the scripture and I'd say, well, I need to back up and see why this is here. And I get back there and then I need to back up to see why that's there. <laughs> and I'm sure not sure I've backed up far enough yet. I had a title here on my notes. I just wrote a different one down here just a couple minutes ago because of something I thought about, because it's a, um, a statement that we've heard a lot in the last couple of years. Did you ever hear the term of supply chain issues? Do you have any of those? Well, I, I do. And a lot of those supply chain issues are man-made. I shouldn't say a lot of them are. All supply chain issues are man-made. Because we have a God that has a limitless supply. And he's able to do that. Yeah, it might not be the uh, supply that we wanted, Um Probably I'm thinking about this because of some supply chain issues that we're facing right now. Uh, you know, we, we've got something ordered, and they said, well, they ran out of that fabric, and they don't know when they're going to get it back in. Um, so we told them to change the fabric, and they said they had it in. I guess I'll find out if that supply chain ran out too. God has a limitless supply. He's not limited by things that limit mankind. A very successful businessman who had climbed the career ladder very fast and very high and had earned lots of money and recognition made this statement. I don't need anyone but myself. I don't depend on anyone but myself. I have learned that you have to take care of number one and not rely on others. I heard a maybe a little more comical statement that wants uh, something like this, that blessed is the man that tooteth his own horn because if he doesn't toot it, it will not be tooted. And that's a little bit the kind of man this person was. 
Even though he, this man, doesn't recognize it, this is dangerous thinking. Because the fact is, he is not sufficient in himself, regardless of his track record or accomplishments. We may be able to get by with our self-sufficient attitude for some time, and we may fool ourselves into believing it is true, but there will always come a time when you face the reality that you are not sufficient. There are some people in our churches don't know. Well, let me let me stop right here. I'm not gonna say back up. Let me stop right here. Uh, the illustrations I use this morning do not um, come from Strasburg Congregation. Okay, uh, so I just want to clear that up. There might be some illustrations that you could attribute to some places or some body here, and they're not. Okay. There are some in our churches that have the mindset that they should borrow all they can for business. Let me just say it this way. It's dangerous. Now, maybe I could appear to be farther ahead in business if I would have had that mentality, but I'm glad I'm where I'm at, okay? My Bible, the last time I checked, still has Proverbs 22.7 in it. Somebody tell me what that is? The borrower is a servant to the lender. Somebody else put it this way. The borrower is the slave to the lender. I know what it's like to have, be a slave to a lender, Okay. I've had borrowed money. Still have some borrowed money. But it's, um, yeah. A man launched a venture which cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. He made a statement early in this venture that he can't lose. You ever heard those kind of statements? This is a win-win situation. Nobody can lose on it. Through circumstances beyond his control, he nearly lost everything he had. Before I go farther, I'll say this. Uh, I'm not sure this is all in chronological order, and I'm not sure it's all portrayed the best, but uh, if you miss anything, I want you to get two points. One... God has a limitless supply. And two, God uses others in meeting that supply. I don't know which church sign this was. I I am intrigued sometimes by the signs I see on the church up the hill from our place on Route 11. I'm not sure that this is where this one came from, but good while ago, probably 15 years ago, there was a sign that said this, we always have enough when God is our supply. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, 
Some of these things I'm not going to differentiate between physical, material, and spiritual, okay? God's got a limitless supply of both, either, all. So um, I'm not going to go back and get the context on all these. In the life songs, and if you care to, you can turn to it. I had a song number written down, song number 87. Um, and then saw the one right across the page that fits as well. And then I thought about another one. Um, you children ever sing the song, God can do anything, anything, anything? but fail. The only thing God's not capable of is failure. All right? Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, wealth that can never be told, riches exhaustless of mercy and grace, precious, more precious than gold. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, who shall, his great, who shall their greatness declare? Jewels whose luster our lives may adorn, pearls that the poorest may wear. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, freely, how freely they flow, making the souls of the faithful and true happy wherever they go. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, who would not gladly endure trials, afflictions, and crosses on earth, riches like these to secure. Precious, more precious, wealth that can never be told. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, precious, more precious than gold. And then right across the page, a friend I have called Jesus, whose love is strong and true and never fails what, how e'er it is tried, no matter what I do. I've sinned against this love of his. But when I knelt to pray, confessing all my guilt to him, the sin clouds rolled away. I'll stop there just a little bit. Because you don't get that kind of response in humanity. At least very rarely. Okay? When we come to Christ confessing all my guilt, he rolls the sin away. Verse 2, sometimes the clouds of trouble be dim the sky above. I cannot see my Savior's face. I doubt his wondrous love. But he, from heaven's mercy seat, beholding my despair, in pity bursts the clouds between and shows me he is there. When sorrow clouds, sorrow's clouds o'ertake me and break upon my head, when life seems worse than useless and I were better dead, I take my grief to Jesus then, nor do I go in vain. For heavenly hope he gives me, for heavenly hope he gives that cheers like sunshine after rain. Oh, I could sing forever of Jesus' love divine, of all his care and tenderness for this poor life of mine. His love is in and over all, and wind and waves obey. When Jesus whispers, peace be still, 
and rolls the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to keep me day by day. It's just like Jesus all along the way. It's just like his great love. And no, I'm not going to read songs all morning, but if you turn back to number 80, this is another one that came to my mind. And this is where part of it comes from, where I said uh, in our supply, in, the, in our needs being supplied, Christ is always there. God is always there. But sometimes these friends that are supposed to help in that supply fall down. Earthly friends may prove untrue, doubts and fears assail. One still loves and cares for you. Jesus never fails. Though the sky be dark and drear, fierce and strong the gale, just remember he is near, and he will not fail. In life's dark and bitter hour, love will still prevail. Trust his everlasting power. Jesus will not fail. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I know more about the greatness of God now than I did 50 years ago, but I haven't even scratched the surface yet. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways. Past finding out. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You want the supply chain of God to be open to you, then walk uprightly. Josiah read those verses from John 14. Life of obedience. Man's wisdom, now I'm not talking about those that are supposed to meet our needs, I'm talking about man's worldly man's wisdom, tells us that God's way doesn't work. You ever faced some circumstances and... and Human thinking, it, this just ain't going to work out. No way to work. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1. This isn't as, well, I was going to say, this isn't maybe as much about God's wisdom as it is about the insufficiency of man's wisdom. Um, let's go to verse 19, and this is right after it says, talks uh, about the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them but believe. 
So those people that think they are so wise and that the preaching of the cross and the preaching of Jesus Christ is foolishness, God said they've got it all turned around backwards. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, there's where human words and thinking just falls flat. <laughs> because there's no comparison between that wise man and God's uh, least wise uh, area. Or God's... Um, I, I, I don't understand how we can talk about anything about God being foolishness and weak. Uh, and so that's uh, the, the, the um, least strong point of God is still way stronger than, than man could even think to be in his strongest point. Verse 26, for we see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen. Now listen to this next one. And things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. I mean, I, I can't quite get my feeble mind around that, okay? Doesn't exist, but God still uses that to confound things that do exist. And why does he do that? So that this wise man, now I'm not talking, so that wise man has no place to glory. Verse 29, that no flesh shall glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We don't have anything to brag about. Nothing. Regardless of how successful we are. Because our success is nothing when it comes to God. And the likelihood is that it came from God anyhow. Did I say that strong enough? <laughs> I think it's more than a likelihood. It came from God anyhow. I heard a statement one time that says this, grace will always be greater than sin. And I thought, is that right? Is that right? I see some heads shaking yes. Romans 5 says this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So yes, that statement's true. 
One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God doesn't let temptation come to you and I, but what he provides the means to be victorious. 2 Peter 2, 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. I want to read from Psalm 34, another favorite of mine. But this puts also in perspective some of this of God supplying what we need uh, I have some words underlined in, in my Bible, uh, the words all and no or not. Uh, it, it's, it's all or nothing as it relates to God. I don't know if it's familiar enough. I hesitate to read it, but I think maybe I will. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be my mouth, be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Let me stop there just a little bit. So, when we boast about our accomplishments or whatever, how does our boast come out? Does it come out as, well, I've, I've got this made, I've got this done? Psalmist says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord, and the humble person will hear it and be glad. Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked into him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. I have that word not underlined, and somewhere along the line I wrote in the word never be in there. In there. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamp, encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is... No want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. When's the last time you sought peace like a hound running after a rabbit? Now, I haven't seen that for a long time. We used to have a lot of fun when I was a teenager watching a hound chase a rabbit. When's the last time you pursued God like that or pursued peace like that? Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are upon their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, 
not one of them is broken. Verse 22, the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none that trust in him shall be desolate. None that trust in him have a supply chain issue. I have a song title for another song in here in relation to this supply. I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came, where springs of living water did abound. How sweet the living water from the hills of God. It makes me glad and happy all the way. Now glory, grace, and blessing mark the path I've trod. I'm shouting hallelujah every day. O sinner, won't you come today to Calvary? A fountain there is flowing deep and wide. The Savior now invites you to the water free where thirsting spirits can be satisfied. Then we come to the next part. God uses others in this supply chain um, in this supply chain if Ephesians 4 came to my mind from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love I'm not sure if I'm missing something or not, but I think this is about the only place where you have something that pulls itself up by its bootstraps. And that is when you and you and you and me are doing our job, pulling together, says it edifies itself, builds itself up. Romans 15, verse 1 and 2. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. thought about skipping over the next part but somebody would say well you missed something no that's not why I'm not skipping over it consider yourself lest you're also tempted we've got a job but just because we are spiritual we still have to be on our guard lest we fall Verse 2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you've probably heard me say here before, there are certain burdens that are mine to bear and there are certain burdens that are yours to help me bear. Trying to see here where I have something in my notes so I don't have to do this backup thing again. 
But uh, verse 5 says, every man shall bear his own burden. So there's a part that is mine to bear. There's a part that is yours to help me bear. There's a part that is yours to bear, and there's a part of yours that's mine to help you bear. Now, where I got to backing up a good bit was I was going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And you can turn there, but then we need to go back to 8, and then we need to go back to 7 to get what all the Apostle Paul is talking about. And I'm, I, I know I haven't scratched the surface of everything that's going on here, but the focus this morning is that there are things that are yours and mine as fellow Christians to, to work at to help others along the way. I don't want to read too much here, but um, verse 5 of chapter 7. I said chapter 9, that's where I started, but we're in chapter 7. When we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforteth us by the coming of Titus. Did I give a wrong reference? 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm sorry. Um, verse 7 of chapter 7. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. For though I made you sorry with the letter, Paul's writing had a negative effect on them, I do not repent. Though I did repent, he said, I'm sorry I wrote it that way, but then it accomplished what it needed to be, and so I'm, <laughs> shouldn't say he's taking back that repenting, but uh, he uh, got over it anyhow. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. In other words, at first it probably looked like he was damaging them, but he said, you didn't receive any damage from us because of the end effect. So anyhow, the, the picture I get here is there was uh, aid that was to be sent. And let me, let me just put it this way. Um, I, thought, I thought about first impressions when I was reading through this. Have you ever met somebody for the first time and, you know, they were just really, uh, they really had things together and uh, they were gifted in this and that and the other and and uh, then after you learn to know them, you get let down? Ever been there? I remember years ago, and this was even in a different state, but somebody said something about a person that had moved into an area 
And they said, that man's as handy as a pocket on your shirt. They found out that there were some flaws. So before I get too much farther here, um, we were reminded this morning that the torch gets passed on from one to another. And uh, I, too, am grateful, Mark, for your service here and to the church. And uh, we're glad that Nathan has picked it up. I've known Nathan about all his life. And uh, I'm happy for, for his contribution. But can somebody that's not ordained or the spouse of an ordained tell me why Southeastern Conference has put in for ordination that you need to be with us for five years before you will be considered as a candidate for ordination? Somebody tell me why? At what, and I realize that that you might have a reason different than what's on my mind. Okay. Okay. So explain yourself. Okay. All right. Okay. And, and that's that's where my mind went. Some of you aren't old enough to know, but we didn't have a very good track record at one time with how long people stayed with us after they were ordained. And um, it was felt wise that we learn, need to learn to know these people a little better before we set them up on too much of a pedestal. Uh, now, that's just putting it in, in my terms. And I remember... One person received enough nominations for ordination one time or for consideration for going through ordination. And it was revealed in some of the background work that this person had some reservations about the conference mode of operation, of administration. You know, there's, there's different, conference operates different than fellowships, okay, or individual congregations. And um, he had a little problem with that. And this person was from a congregational setting. He was here long enough to be considered. He didn't go through the lot. And I still remember what Brother John Risser advised him. Find yourself a congregation that you can fully support. He did. And I still have a lot of respect for the individual. But there are reasons that things are done in this help in supply. Now, continuing on here. That is correct. It was his choice. But uh, when he decided not to, I, well, I... I maybe didn't even know that. But anyhow, I still remember Brother John telling him he needed to find a church that he could support 100% um, or, get him, or get behind our mode of administration and support it, one or the other. Um, all right, no, that's fine. That's fine. I, I was probably uh, lost anyhow. But going through this, there was promised 
help. I, uh, there have been times when I've been reluctant to uh, suggest somebody for a work slot or something like that because I don't know how they're going to respond in those situations. Paul's concern was that these people follow through with what they said they were going to do. Now you can read read through these three chapters later. I'm not going to read through them all. But he, his concern was that they follow through. He said, you, you plan to do this for a year. Now make it happen. And so I, I hold back sometimes from saying this person would be a good person for that job because if that person gets into that job and doesn't work out, then it's maybe a reflection on my integrity and my lack of knowledge of that person's or lack of evaluation of that person. Um, and then it reflects back on, on me. Now, it's not about, you know, I, I'm getting less and less, uh, I, I care less and less about what people think about me, than, uh, at least at times. Sometimes it hits pretty hard. But uh, that's not the point. It's not the point of what people think about you and I. It's the point of what they think about God and Christ based on their evaluation of what I do and say. Um, Getting down, that's um, verse 5 of chapter 8. His commendation was, this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. <coughs> Insomuch that we desired Titus that he, as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. So there's that. He wanted to, wanted to see them bring their commitment to completion. Verse 10. Herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. In other words, you planned this a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to all that he hath not, not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want that their abundance may also be that their abundance also may be a supply for your want that there be an equality for as it is written he that hath gathered much had nothing over he that hath had gathered little had no lack now i didn't think about this offering on the board this morning when i was getting ready for this sermon but that's a demonstration of what Paul's teaching here. You give out of your abundance to help the church. In this case, you give out of your abundance to help somebody in need. 
Copying down to um, chapter 9. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them at Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Lest haply, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, ye, that we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Now you get the picture? When I come... I want to find out that you've carried out what I said you were going to do so that I'm not embarrassed and you're not embarrassed. Verse 5, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye have noticed before, ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty, and not as of covetousness. Drop down to um, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Drop down to uh, verse 11. Let's start at verse 10. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. So everybody benefits. We don't do this because of me. We do it because of God to help you. But then we get a blessing out of it. And it all causes thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, while by the experiment of ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. So you see, they first of all thank God because of your professed subjection, and then they bring out even more thanksgiving when you fulfill that profession. Verse 14, And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for, this, for his unspeakable gift. Now, I'm not going to go into much in what this unspeakable or indescribable gift is. But I will say in the context, it at least applies to each of us working to lift the other up, to supply the needs of others, and then God gets glory from that. It's not the way the wisdom of the world teaches us that it's supposed to happen. But it's the way God teaches us that it will happen. So we have a song, please. <laughs>